Lord. All right. I'd like to uh, continue my series on foundations. Please pardon me at this bottle of water here. Um, I am <clears throat> really, my mouth is dry. I noticed it yesterday in the wedding, even though I drank a whole bottle of water, that I got a, a case of the dry mouth, and I think it's because I'm taking some diet pills. I'm trying my best to, to get control of my weight. And uh, I've heard sometimes diet pills make you irritable. Well, these don't make me irritable, but I'll tell you, my, my, my wife and kids are really acting up, and everybody in the road's really irritating me, but it's not me. So I'm really trying my best to... But I think one of the side effects is lots of fluids, so I'm trying my best to, to hydrate here. Today I want to talk about the Bible. God's holy word. One of the questions that the kids will be asked today and that they all know the, the answer to, and not every Christian, and I'm going to have to put that in quotations, not every clergy member, and I'm going to put that in quotations, can answer this question properly. What is the authority for Christian doctrine? They don't understand that. The authority to Christian doctrine is God's holy word. Period. Period. God's word is the proof that what we believe is accurate. If it's not in God's word, it can't be accurate. There's a lot of good things that men can come up with, a lot of good ideas. But unless it jives or corresponds with this book, it's not accurate. One of the things that I loved most about the Brethren denomination when I first entered the Brethren denomination was its honor and respect it pays to God's word. See, we're not ruled or based by human norms and social change. That doesn't affect God. Man doesn't change God. God changes not. So no matter what people come up with that is politically correct or politically incorrect, doesn't matter to the church. The church stands on the word of God, and we will end with the word of God. So the authority for all Christian doctrine comes from God's word. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed, just as he breathed the stars into being in the universe. Scripture comes from his breath. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and I was challenging them. I was challenging them in God's word and God's ways. And about midway through my challenge, I said, do you feel challenged? And they said, yes. I said, well, I'm really trying to pour it on thick here. God's word challenges us. It confronts our, our carnality and our humanity. And it corrects us and trains us in righteousness or rightness the right way. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Christian friend. If you consider yourself an amateur, God have mercy upon you. Shame on you. You need to be an expert in God's word. You need to be well schooled. Study to show yourself approved. You read it this morning. A workman that need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing God's truth. There shouldn't be one novice in this building. 
That's why you should take every opportunity to expose yourself to the preaching and the reading of the Word of God and the singing of praises to God and the worship of God. That's one of the reasons that church is so important is because it takes us from novice, yeah, I'm going to say this, to expert. There's a lot of things you may not be expert in, but you need to be an expert in God's Word. You want to know why? Because there's people in your life, you may not even have met them yet, but they're depending on you to be an expert. They need you to know God's Word. One of the young people in, in confirmation recently sent me a text and was looking for a scripture that, that had to do with a, a, an activity that people are involved in today. And he said, where's that scripture? Man, I was so proud of this young person. And I called him up. I said, here it is. It's this scripture. And I, I told some other things. And that person... That confirmand was moved, listen to me, moved by the Holy Spirit to be light and salt in somebody's life. I asked the the young person, I said, I said, did the person ask you what God said? They said, no. I said, did they ask you what the Bible said? They said, no. I said, why did you offer it? I said, well, I just, I knew it was there. In that way, the Holy Spirit moved on this young person to be salt and light. You took what you knew, what you learned in scriptures in church, and you made a difference in someone's life. You ready for this? That needs you. I want you to understand that people need you to be an expert in God's word. Don't be proud and say, well, I'm just an imperfect human. We got tons of those. We need you. The Holy Spirit needs you to verse yourself in God's word. Be an expert because somebody, I don't know their name. They may be in your life. They may not be in your life. But somebody needs you to share God with them. And it's not going to be me. God has called you. God has destined you to minister in their life. See, it's not just preacher doing everything. God said for you to preach the gospel. God told you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are a qualified and anointed Agent of God. And this is your source. God's holy word. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets through human, or though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's not ours to define and decide what things are. I'm going I'm to say this. The person was bold enough to do it. I'm going to be bold enough to say this. I don't know the person's name, but there was someone at the Unity Convention that we got to the part we were talking about marriage. You remember this, Fred? I don't know if you saw the hand. Did you see the hand? You were on the other side of the building. But... We got to the place where we read the doctrine that said that one of the ministers, I think it was um, this, the, uh, the Seton brethren pastor, and uh, she walked up and she said, she said, uh, I want for us to make a decision right now that we define what marriage is. See, there's marriage and then there's holy matrimony. Yesterday at the wedding, I said everything that I said because this is a holy state. This is a this is one of the graces that God gives that we can't take, and we certainly can't redefine it because it doesn't belong to us. 
Holy matrimony is something that you enter into with God's grace. And you bind things on earth. And when you bind those things on earth, they're bound in heaven. God and his witnesses are watching. They're watching those proceedings. And we, we, the point came up that marriage is something between a man and a woman. And we went to vote on this. All in favor? Raise your hand. Hands went up. All opposed? Two people over for me. This person raised their hand. Now, I'm really concerned about that because someone was representing their congregation and did that. And my first question is, is that what the congregation feels, really? I'm really wondering. Or is this person in their own convictions making a decision for their church? Because last time I checked, as a delegate from a congregation, Brother Fred, am I right? You represent the congregation, right? So a lady behind me had a lot of boldness. She was stunned at this person's revelation. And she tapped him on the shoulder. I began to chuckle. I should have. But she's tapping on the shoulder. Excuse me. Excuse me. She said, you're against that? And he didn't answer. So she pressed. She said, how can you be against that? Are you saying? Are you saying that, 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 that gay marriage is okay? And you know what he did? He turned around and he answered with this answer. He said, God loves everybody. That was his answer. I thought, my word. Because, friend, is that true? Does God love everybody? Yeah. Does God permit sin when you commit it? Is he okay with you sinning? No. He doesn't. He, he hates it when you sin because you transgress, you transgress against his law. And God still loves you, but it doesn't mean we're okay. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You see, it's not up to your own private interpretation. You don't take scriptures and say, well, that's what you say it means, but I want it to mean this. It doesn't work that way. And it is our job through God's word to discern what the Lord is telling us. And there is right and there is wrong. We live in a black and a white world. Whether the rest of the world lives in a gray world or not, it doesn't matter. But God's word is clear. It is crystal clear. Old and New Testament on that issue. And many other issues that are facing us socially, God is very clear. And as a Christian, it should be your business to know the difference. All right, I want to show you something because one of the things that I'd like to ask that person is, do you have any documentation to prove what you're saying in God's word? How can you prove that God approves of that? Because I don't see it anywhere in God's word, which brings me to this. Brother, if you could um, turn me on. And um, while we were at the game, hold on a sec, brother, you got me yet? Testing, one, two, three, four. Do I need to go back behind the pulpit? One, two, three, four, five. Testing, one, two, there we go. Went to the Round Rock game uh, back in uh, 2010, me and my family. We heard that uh, Will Ferrell was going to be there. We thought, oh, we're going to go see this guy, this very famous comedian. And uh, Will Ferrell was there, and, and he, he came out as Rojo Johnson, relief pitcher for the Round Rock Express. And he was actually on the roster. And Will Ferrell got out there, and he threw some pitches, you know, in the fifth inning and warm up. And, and then when the batter took the place from the Nashville Sounds, he threw the first pitch way over that guy's head. The guy took offense to it and charged the mound. You can imagine the rest of the nonsense that took place with Will Ferrell. He ended up chasing him to center field, left field, and right field. As we were all laughing our heads off. 
And then he let us in to take me out to the ball game and the stuff. And we had a great time. And we didn't know this was going to happen. We went a couple of games later, and they had an auction for the Ryan, Nolan Ryan Foundation, which is a charitable organization. And what this is, this is the official scorecard for that night when Rojo Johnson, uh, a.k.a. Will Farrell, was on the roster of the Round Rock Express. This is the actual lineup card by the managers. And at the top right here, it says, Best Wishes, Will Farrell, And then right here in parentheses, it says, Rojo. I'll have this out there. You can see it when we're finished. And we, we, we bought this. Now, how do we know that Will Farrell signed this? You guys see that? How do we know this is accurate? I mean, it could have been, you know, the hot dog vendor that signed it. I could pull off I could pull off this signature right now. It's just sorry. That's what it looks like. But how do I know this is real? Because we won the auction, you know, we paid a good piece for it. It was really neat because his last name was Johnson. You know, we had to go with it. And so so anyway, how do we know this is real? It's got a little neat little plaque here that says Will Farrell Rojo Johnson appearance, May six, two thousand ten. But that that's not what we call provenance. I got this thing. I enjoy watching Pawn Stars. Do you? Anybody else here with me? You don't, if you know what it is, it's okay. I'm a junkie. I, I'm just, it's crazy. Rhonda just shakes her head and goes, oh. And she says, I've, I've, I've gone crazy this word, provenance. I, first time I heard it. They say, they bring up a signed sign autograph. They say, what is your provenance? In other words, what's your proof? Thank you, Jesse. Okay, so... What's, what's your place or source of origin? Is it genuine? And the way that we figure that out is on the back here. Jesse has a superimposed. He can put it up there. Is a certificate of authenticity from the Round Rock Express. It says, autographed Will Ferrell Express lineup card. Autographed in person by Will Ferrell. The Round Rock Express guarantees that this item is authentic and was signed in person and it's not a copy, reprint, or any other kind of facsimile of the athlete's autograph. That is our provenance right there, a certificate of authenticity. And this tells whether what you have is genuine or not. How many know where I'm going with this? You ought to. Don't disappoint me. Your certificate of authenticity for all Christian doctrine is this book right here. If you want to know whether what we're teaching, what we're preaching, what you're praying, what you're saying is accurate and authentic, it's got to be right here. This is what you have. And every stand you take, every doctrine you pronounce must be in here. If it's not, it's the will of man. might be a good idea, but it is not something that is brought by God. One of the issues that John Huss had with the early church was, he said, the Pope is not something mandated by God. The church he was a part of, which was the the universal church, they said, yes, it is. He said, show me. They couldn't show him. They got angry at him, and they burned him at the stake, called him a heretic, because he challenged them on something. If you don't have provenance, if you don't have authenticity, it's not accurate. If you do, you can rest in that, because God will protect you, and God will assure you of your stance. So the Holy Bible, as the confirmants know this, is our certificate of, of authenticity. And it is the reason, that one of the main reasons that I fell in love with the Brethren Church. Now, if we had our own ideas and stuff that we came up with that God didn't say, I'd have a problem. But we don't. We are accurate with the Word of God. And that is our provenance.
Why should we turn to the Bible for guidance? Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect because it refreshes the soul. The statutes of the, of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving that childlike joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious, David said, than gold. Much more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Wow. That is, that is wonderful scripture, wonderful insight from the Holy Spirit to the prophet, the psalmist, David. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. We rest. We find satisfaction in God's word. We find safety and truth and accuracy in God's word. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17. He said this, sanctify them by your truth. God, your word is truth. To sanctify is to cleanse, to wash. He said, God, he's praying for us in this famous John chapter 17. He's praying for you and me. He said, God, clean them by your word. Sanctify them by your truth. How can that happen, child of God, unless you know this? Unless you become more familiar than you are now with this. I want to encourage you, saint of God, become an expert. Because the Bible contains knowledge. This is in the catechism book. The Bible contains knowledge which no human mind could have ever discovered for itself. It makes this a supernatural book. No human mind could have come up with the stuff that God's truth and his power is revealed in this. The Bible is a revelation of God. He describes himself. He describes his being. He describes his nature. He describes his personalities. He describes his emotions. He says, hey, folks, this is me. God's being straight with us. He's being crystal clear with us. So that any crisis, any trial... Anything you go through, God has addressed that issue and that crisis right here. Good friend of mine, I just finished reading the book the other day. Following the path of most resistance, James Fields struggled with his blindness. He struggled with the crisis he was going through. He was mad at God. God, why won't you heal me? And James says something in that book. He said, I thought that me throwing my glasses in the pond... And continue to do other acts of, quote, faith would force God to fulfill his promise to me. He was angry at God because he knew God healed other people. But why wouldn't God heal him? And you know where he found the answer to that? Not in a self-help seminar. He didn't find the answer to that to reading some other people's books. James made himself a student of God's word. And the Holy Spirit himself revealed the answer to James. The quote that I made in my prayer, God doesn't always heal, but God always does good. That came from James. James Fields. James 
studied God's word and found the answer to his frustration and his anger in God's word. And now James, after after experiencing depression, after experiencing anxiety over his frustration with going blind, now James is depression's worst enemy. The name of James's ministry is Comfort and Encouragement Ministries. And where did he get the answer? Here. Here. Every answer to every trial, every crisis is in that black book of yours. The Bible stands alone in world literature. It is the most powerful, amazing, incredible book ever known to man. Isn't that awesome? Many imitators, but none can match its authority and its power. Did you know that Islam was barred from Judaism and Christianity? Get it out of your mind to think, well, you know, the Muhammad, he came over there. He borrowed stuff from Christianity and Judaism. It is a morph of the truth, Islam is. It is the devil's attempt to disrupt and to discredit God's truth. The Holy Spirit said, don't add anything or take anything away from this scripture. And of course, Islam has done that. The Bible stands alone in the world. So the next question is, what does the Bible mainly teach? What do we get from the Bible? John chapter 5 and verse 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus is saying. We learn about Jesus. We learn of his origin, his source, his power. We learn of his emotions and personalities, as I said before. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures... And encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Are you hopeless? There's your answer. Trust God. Read his scriptures. Ask the Holy Spirit. Reveal to me. Teach me. I want to know. And God will always answer that prayer. It tells us who God is. And it tells us what God has done. It tells us what God requires of you and I as mankind. It tells us everything. It's the complete. Question number four. Why was the Old Testament written? Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Who did? Jesus. I've often heard people say, we need to use New Testament, New Testament only. Don't ever read New Testament. Well, you know what? The New Testament church read the Old Testament, my friend. They didn't have a New Testament. Jesus read the law and the prophets and explained himself. And it revealed Jesus. We don't just read the New Testament. We read the entire, the whole counsel of God. Jesus didn't come way to do away with one jot or tittle of anything that was written aforetime. He came to fulfill it. He came and said, that's me. All of it is me. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? My dad used to always talk about the harmony of the Testaments, the harmony of the Gospels, the harmony of the prophets. It's awesome what God does. Luke, and, and, and it tells of God's power. The Old Testament speaks of God's awesome majesty and his power in Egypt, in, in the wilderness, and all the miracles he performed. You realize what God is capable of. Through God, all things are possible. If God be for us, who can be against us? Gives me shivers. The same God that part of the sea can touch your life and deliver a miracle in your life. 
What is God capable of conquering your crisis? Hallelujah. It tells of God's wisdom, of His great and vast love toward us. It speaks of His power. It tells of God's goodness, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the goodness of God. The law and the prophets testify of this. Prophets, well, let's start with the law. The law was given to Moses at Sinai. Kids know this. The law is the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Torah. The Jews call it the Torah. Have you ever seen those scrolls they walk in with? You ever seen that? They walk in and everybody's touching the scrolls and stuff. And then, then the priests will kiss the scrolls. Have you ever seen this? Notice the next Jewish ceremony you see. When they bring in the Torah, the five books of the, of the law, the first five books of the Bible, he kisses. You know why he kisses it? Rhonda told me this other day. I think it's just brilliant. He kisses it because it's been a long time since he's seen it. Just like you do. When you, you come home, guys, you see your beautiful wife, you kiss her. Because it's been a while since you've seen her. It's a greeting. And they kiss the law because they love it. Isn't that beautiful? It's wonderful. So then you have the prophets. The prophets are separated into major and minor. The majors are Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You've heard of them. Isaiah, right? These big shots. Jeremiah, all these guys. And then you have the minor prophets. You have the Micahs, the Malachi's, the Jonas, the Habakkuk's. You have all these. And they all work in harmony with God's revelation of who he is. From Psalms to Malachi, these are the areas. Some people call them the prophets and the poets. I just like to call it the prophets. And then number five, why was the New Testament written? The New Testament is separated into Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the Gospels. And then the epistles. The epistles are the letters from the apostles to the church. Should I go there? In Bible school, they'd say the epistles are not the wives of the apostles. They laughed. They got it. They got it. Good. And then you have the revelation, which is a revelation of the things that are to come. It reveals the mysteries of prophetic works that are yet to happen. John chapter 20 and verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the purpose of the New Testament. The Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. That is the principal reason the New Testament is here. To say, hey folks, I want to introduce you to this man named Jesus. has come to pay your debt that you can't pay. He's come to give you life and life eternal. That's the purpose. You. You. He's after you. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to know that you're saved. He doesn't want you to be confused or clueless. This thought came to me last night. Is that God came into this world. He died for our sins and he provided with this. Not so we could walk around clueless. (laughs) So that we could be competent in who God is. And that we have received the Lord into our heart. And we walk around as light and salt. In the earth. The New Testament reveals the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The epistles give the Christian and the church instruction in living and congregational discipline and mission. These are the purposes. Do you think we need to know this stuff? Do we need to know the epistles, guys? How many of you remember this congregation? Let me ask that question again. How many of you members, you're part of this congregation. You're here, right? You're a part of this congregation. You're in a church. You consider yourself part of, how many consider yourself a part of the church of Jesus? Do you? 
All right, it's important that you know these letters that Paul and the apostles wrote to the church. This is how we receive instruction. This is how we know what to do and how to behave in certain areas. Revelation speaks in prophetic mysteries, as I've said, of what is yet to come. Every Christian should spend their lives mastering this book of books. Sweeter than honey of the honeycomb, more precious than silver, even fine gold, this is. You know what? You don't realize this fully, and neither do I. But the day is going to come when we meet the Father and we look at Him face to face. And this is our lifeboat. You're going to think of the things that you pursued and the things that were important in your life. You're going to look at them and you're going to go, that ah, wasn't, so, wasn't, so, wasn't so good. It wasn't so important. And you're not going to be able to show the Lord God. Well, Lord, I worked for 35 years at that company. You impressed? No. Well, God, I enjoyed hunting, fishing. I never kicked my dog and loved my children. Is that okay? No. And then God's going to look at you and me. You know what he's going to ask us? What did you do with my son? I equipped you with gifts of ministry. I poured out my blessings on your nation. And I gave you this book of all books that stands alone in human literature. What did you do with that? Did you master it? Did you move from novice to expert? Did you at least have a working knowledge of what you believe? And friend... There's going to be no attorney, no counsel. It's going to be you and the Father alone. And you better have something better to answer than I worked for 35 years. I was married for 57. Or I was good to my kids. Friend, you better have the life-giving principles. You ought to say, oh God, your holy word has sustained me all my life. It helped me achieve my destiny It helped me be prepared for the people that desperately need me in their lives. When that lady asked me that question, when that that man came up to me with with, with a, a crisis, I had you. And I was able to deliver you to them because of what you have equipped me with. Are you hearing me today? Are you with me? Amen. God, help us to answer correctly and competently in that day because There's a lot of things in this life that's not guaranteed, but listen very carefully to me. What I just said is going to happen to you. You will face God. Do you ever think about that? You know what drives me? You know what pushes me to try my best to be excellent? What really pushes me in the right direction is that thought that I am going to answer to God one day. Not that I might answer to God, but David Franklin with an eye. With a, yes, it's, it's with a Y, I'm sorry. <laughs> David, so many people write my name, Franklin, with an I. David Franklin Johnson is going to stand alone without mom or dad, without you or anybody else, me. And God's going to require an answer from me. What did you do with what I equipped you with? And my friend, the last thing you better say is the other stuff you've accomplished in life. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall remain. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? There are some things in your life that are more important than life itself. And you really need to get a hold of what those things are. Do you feel challenged today? Because I'm really going over the top here. Every Christian should spend their life mastering it. Move the principles and truths from this book and from these pages into your heart. I want to guarantee you something right now. This is God's will for you. Bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, we've been challenged by your spirit today. Each individual, including me, has been reminded of the seriousness of this thing which is our life. And God, there are times we're going to pursue things that you didn't tell us to pursue. We're going to fall in love with things more than you than we ought not to. There's one constant. There's one thing that we cannot avoid is the question you're going to answer us. What did we do with this precious life that you gave us on this earth because there's only one thing that matters in this universe and that is pleasing you returning to our originator the creator god i pray that your spirit would remind us of these principles constantly this week help us father to live a life pleasing to you and become experts in the only thing that really matters in this world and that's your word In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please. Let's continue in this practice of dismissal by repeating the Apostles' Creed together. and remind you of what we believe in. Say with me, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He went to the place of departed spirits. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The providence the providence and the certificate of authenticity of everything you've just said is right here. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. Remain standing. Ron, would you help me with our closing hymn, please?